0: He said the way the youth are currently educated leads them to hate the concept of learning, filling their heads with facts, figures, and ideas that are sometimes best left unlearned. What constitutes the elements of a true education? That is the age-old question we all come to ask at some point. It is a noble task to pursue and one that we shouldn't take lightly. Maybe you got lost somewhere swimming too far off the beach. Well, hello, everyone. And welcome to The Cause. My name is Rob, and today we are going to be discussing the fourth book in the third volume of the Harvard Classic series, John Milton's Tractate of Education. Now, tractate means a treatise, a written work dealing formally and systematically with a subject. This is a unique work that goes over the true education. For a gentleman. Now, this education is not for the faint of heart. And I honestly do not know anyone in my personal life that has an education anywhere close to what he describes. And although I realize it may not be practical for today's standards, I can't help but to admire the individuals that achieve this level of education and understanding, and then simultaneously run businesses, lead armies, and rule empires. So with no further ado, let's discuss the tractate. Milton wrote the tractate on education for a man whose name was Samuel Hartlib. He was the son of a Polish merchant and an English mother, and he lived in London for most of his life. It appears that Mr. Hartlib and Milton had discussed this concept of education at different parts of their life, and this idea of what constituted a a full gentlemanly education. And what's cool is Milton seems to have taken some time to put together a short but detailed description of what his idea of a true education was. Imagine one of the most educated poetic writers of the day providing you a letter on how to become a better educated person. I love the fact that this writing was just to a friend and in my opinion it kind of shows a lot of Milton's character and kind of what what type of friend he was. Milton opens the tractate with his belief in doing things for the love of God In mankind. Not really to benefit oneself or for, for his gain, but for the betterment of society and to help out others. The reformation of education is such a thing, and Milton believes it is important to provide his ideas in a voluntary manner, even if it's only to one man seeking a better understanding of the world around him. Now, like our last discussion on Milton, he does not waste any time getting to the meat of the discussion. Brief I shall endeavor to be, for that which I have to say, assuredly, This nation hath extreme need, should be done sooner than spoken. So let's not dilly-dally around. Let's break it down a little bit. The end, then, of learning is to repair the ruins of our first parents by regaining to know God aright, and out of that knowledge to love Him, to imitate Him, to be like Him, as we may be the nearest by possessing our souls of true virtue, which, being united to the heavenly grace of faith, makes us the highest perfection." Lots to unpack in that line right there. He says, Most nations do not teach experience and traditions enough. And because of that, most are taught the languages and the histories of the civilizations of the past, most in pursuit of wisdom, and industry. He then discusses how this method has made learning unpleasant and honestly just unsuccessful. The amount of time students spend studying is not utilized correctly, and that kind of is the basis of his tractate, at least in regards to the study section, because the order in which we learn things determines how quickly we can progress in understanding and proficiency of the subject. An example of this is beginning the students off with learning about the arts, which he says is easy and most obvious to the senses. But instead, they, meaning the current education system, present their young, unmatriculated novices at first coming with the most intellective abstractions of logic and metaphysics. So they have barely started the learning process, and they are transported into this turbulent climate to be tossed and turmoiled with their unballasted wits in fathomless and unquiet deeps of controversy. Do for the most part grow into hatred and contempt of learning. I think most of us have experienced this in life, spending our prime years in schools with honestly no direction, learning things that are sometimes better left unlearned. But enough of what we should not do. Let's see what Milton proposes. He says, I will point ye out the right path of a virtuous and noble education, laborious indeed at first ascent, but else so smooth, so green, so full of goodly prospect and melodious sounds on every side that the harp of Orpheus was not more charming. That sounds like a lofty path. Maybe an overzealous yellow brick road, so to speak. Sounds good, but where does it lead? Milton says, I call therefore a complete and generous education that which fits a man to perform justly, skillfully, and magnanimously all the offices, both private and public, of peace and war. He expects all this to be accomplished between the ages of 12 to 21. He then brings up the environment of studying and the structure that he wants it to be done in. After this, we move into the three major focuses of education and how he proposes to divide the day up into these three sections. The first is study, second is exercise, and then he goes into diet. And I will break each of these down as Milton discusses. The first part of his educational process is studies and is the one he goes most in depth with. He says it's best to start off with just some good rules of grammar and to focus on distinct and clear pronunciation. And not only in the native tongue of English, but to also start with Latin. Latin was a common language to know for most educated members of society back in the day. Next, the focus will shift to making them experts in useful points of grammar. And then while completing this portion of studies, the focus needs to be winning them early to the love of virtue and true labor. And the best way to do this is by reading some useful books on education. Whereas we start introducing some of the classical works, he says, whereas the Greeks have CBs, who was a disciple of Socrates, and he apparently wrote a book on cultivating virtue. And then there is also Plutarch, the author of The Famous Lives, which we will actually be covering later in the series, which is in volume 12. So to start, he wants to focus their attention on virtues and history. He then has a great line here, but here the main skill and groundwork will be to temper them such lectures and explanations upon every opportunity as may lead, and then draw them in willing obedience, inflamed with the study of learning and the administration of virtue, stirred up with high hopes of living to be brave men and worthy patriots, dear to God, and famous to all ages. The logic of this statement is very relatable to my own experience. I never had a passion for literature or classical works until I read the biography John Adams by David McCullough. And because of John Adams' issues with Alexander Hamilton, I read Hamilton's biography next by Ron Chernow. Those two gentlemen set me down a course that has led me here. I was hooked, I was inspired, and I wanted to become more like these great men. Both so different, yet both well-educated, passionate, and brave in their own way. What did they have internally that I was lacking? It was a wisdom that was not harnessed to just the past, but could be utilized in any generation, including ours. It was beyond education, it was a character, a confidence, a passion that I was looking for. The love of learning for me was found in these historical works, in these stories, in these lives of virtuous men from the past that I wanted to emulate and kind of hold as a standard. So that is why that line holds a certain value to me. So back to the students who are just starting out. Milton says that during the same day, some arithmetic and geometry can be thrown in. And in the evening, night when they retire, to retire into the scriptures of the Bible. The second step in his studies gets a little bit more intense. At this point, the students are to venture into the authors of agriculture, such as Cato, Vero, and Columella. And I want to say too, there's a few of these names in there I'm probably going to get wrong, but I'll add the names in text, that way you can kind of see if I butcher them in any way, my apologies ahead of time. The subject of agriculture is pretty easy to understand, but it's also vital to the survival of of a nation, improving the soil and understanding agricultural practices. He says the student should also learn the use of the globe and of maps and stuff like that, because a fundamental knowledge in navigation early on helps you realize that planning your next destination is important in all aspects of your life. We then start to venture into natural philosophy. At this point, Greek is brought up, and then he prescribes this tongue to also be learned in the same format and the structure that Latin was learned. Starting with the grammar, and then as soon as the basics are achieved, venturing into the histories and stuff like that. He goes through Latin writers on architecture, natural questions, astronomy, and geography. All this to kinda help understand engineering in navigation. But he wants the students to look beyond just textbooks. He says, to set forward all the proceedings in nature and mathematics, what hinders, but that they may procure, as often as shall be needful, the helpful experiences of hunters, fowlers, fishermen, shepherds, gardeners, apothecaries, and other sciences, architects, engineers, and mariners. I believe this is a very important point. A healthy mixture of living life and experiencing and events and activities is just as important as studying the greats and educating oneself with books. I remember when I was young, dad taught us very early on how to hunt and then also how to skin you know, deer, rabbit and ducks and stuff like that. It was something I think he realized that the faster he taught us, the sooner he wouldn't have to do it anymore. But in that process, you learn so much about anatomy, the textures, the tissues, the, the way things look, the, the way things are set up in the body. You also learn the differences between each of the animals. So when I finally got to the class of biology, I had a completely different understanding and a mindset most of my peers in the class. The real life experiences will allow you to see where your education needs to improve, and also where your education may not align with reality. You can read about running a marathon all day long, but you'll never understand as much as the person who has actually experienced the event and finished it. Going through the process is just as important as studying the details. So the doing is just as important as the studying. Also, what is the point of studying all this stuff if you never go out and put it into practice? You never utilize anything that you're kind of reading. He then moves into the harder poets, Orpheus, Hesiod, Theocritus, Aratus, Nicander, Opian, Dionysius, and in Latin, Lucretius and Manilus. And again, I apologize for any mispronunciations. He also goes over Virgil, which we will be covering in volume 13 of the Harvard Classics. He says that by this time, years of good general precepts will have distinguished them with reason and virtue, that they may with some judgment contemplate upon moral good and evil. He then suggests that they read through the moral works of Plato, Xenophon, Cicero, Plutarch, Laritius, and those Locrian remnants, and at night, the works of David and Solomon, and throw in a little of the apostles as well, allowing the works of the Bible to kind of close out the day and... Reset your mind. He says, being perfect in the knowledge of personal duty, they may then begin the study of economics. So, only after the pursuit of morals and good judgment should we train them on money. And after all these stories of powerful men of the past and a sufficient understanding of economics, it's only natural to move into the next major subject. The next remove must be to the study of politics, to know the beginning end and reasons of political societies, that they may not, in a dangerous fit of the commonwealth, be such poor, shaken, uncertain reeds of such a tottering conscience as many of our great counselors have lately shown themselves, but steadfast pillars of the state. More relevant and important is this statement than probably any time in history and that could be my decline bias speaking, but I just feel sometimes that we have heeded nothing from the past, and that's what scares me the most. There's a famous quote by Goat that goes something like, ignorant men raise questions that wise men answered a thousand years ago, and it seems to be true. Next on Milton's list of education is the law and justice. Societies built on a social contract need to be held together with laws that are kind of culturally agreed upon. He first mentions studying the works of Moses, then to be followed by the Grecian lawgivers like Kyrgyz, Solon, Zeleucus, and Carnatus then move to the roman edicts and tables with their justinian and into the saxon and the common laws of england now this has to be some heavy reading but i like the idea of going through the different cultures laws so you can kind of see what worked in the past and the historical ramifications of you know laws that were enacted sundays at this point will be for the study of theology and the historical aspects of the church and to have a better understanding of the bible and stuff like that you might as well learn some hebrew so he throws that in And if you really want to have a good understanding of the Bible, then learn the Chalde and the Syrian dialects as well. Now, once you have completed all this, you can then start to venture into the tragedies and the heroic poems, and start to enjoy the fruits of your labor. He says this will help endow them with the spirit and the vigor of Demosthenes, Cicero, Euripides, and Sophocles. And lastly, for studies, he wraps it up with logic, which appears to be kind of his final destination in his uh, educational plan. And then what is left after this is really to just go out and become that which you have the skills now to do. Go write, compose, speak in parliament, legislate, Make an impact on the world. For these are the studies that our noble and gentle youth ought to bestow their time in a disciplinary way from the ages of 12 to 21. Next, we move into exercise, and he brings up the importance of exercise in civilizations such as the Spartans, who trained up their youth most for war. Milton says that an hour and a half before lunch should be dedicated. To exercise, and now these exercises included weapons, maybe with the sword or something like that. But it was to—it was meant to build character. It was meant to build some courage in these young lads, give them some confidence. And he said, exercise balanced out with lectures increases the patience of the youth. And he said, if they were able to accomplish this, it would make them hate the cowardice of doing wrong. He said they would need to be proficient in wrestling, and during resting periods, they could compose music and enjoy the harmonies of life. He says all this would help send their minds back to study in good tune and satisfaction. I like that. As they come of age, more warlike concepts are starting to be added to the curriculum. Concepts such as siege, camping, strategizing, all this to kind of help them become capable commanders if their country ever needed them. Milton advises once the students get to a certain level of education, not to sit idle, but go out and explore. Try all their peculiar gifts of nature, and if there were any secret excellence among them, would fetch it out and give it fair opportunity to advance itself. I feel this is an issue we struggle with. With our modern system we keep the youth in box-shaped rooms for years and years and then send them to college to specialize in things by sitting in more box-shaped rooms only to be cast out into the world to realize that what they really love to do is something completely different than they just got specialized in, and what they probably mistakenly chose out of ignorance. But once you enter the machine of society, and the longer you participate in the system, get a little mortgage, get a loan or two, insurance needs, it becomes harder and harder to change your situation and alter your trajectory. If you are young, try as many skills and jobs and stuff like that as you can early, early on. Figure out what you like to do before committing to a path that you may regret going down. He encourages the youth in their 20s, to visit other countries. And I love the advice he gives here. Go out and visit other countries, not to learn principles, but to enlarge experience and make wise observations. But bringing it back more towards exercise, the lifestyle lived by most of the people back then did not require the exercise that I think is required today. We have more knowledge and understanding of the science of exercise, but we honestly don't take it serious enough. Why accumulate all this knowledge if you're not gonna take care of the hardware that actually operates it? So we need to get out, walk, run, swim, cycle, just honestly start moving. Moving into his third subject, which is the diet. His main point of diet is just moderation. Keep it simple, do not overeat, and keep it balanced. Their knowledge of food pales in comparison to what is available today. But honestly, we still choose to eat unhealthy out of laziness, convenience, and gluttony. He wraps the Tractate up with a great point. All of this sounds like a lot, but he says once you get to the doing, you will find that it's really not that hard. The hardest part in most things in life is just taking the first step. It's getting up and lacing up your shoes to go on to the run. Once the shoes are laced, you're going. Once you get moving and that momentum builds, the ease of life is found in the process of just doing. Consistent action, compounded over weeks and months and years, can honestly create a person you never knew existed inside of you. The question is, are we willing to discover that person? I have three personal takeaways to bring this to a more modern standard. First, I realize times have changed. That seems to be the argument in the comment section periodically, that these old texts are not relevant anymore, and they do not represent everyone's current view on society, or meet the diverse cultural requirements of the times, well, you can still adapt them to fit your needs. Did he mean for women to go through this curriculum? Probably not, but I will be educating my girls in a classical manner, and I'm a very big proponent on cross-training. Everyone will learn to hunt, garden, clean animals, and work on their mechanical knowledge. You don't have to like it, but you at least have to have the understanding and skills to use them if it's ever needed. Second, I know the rigors of Milton's plan is probably not possible to achieve in the society we currently live in, especially in the current school structure we have set up. The amount of pushback would be intense and politicized very quickly. Sadly, the only way I can even imagine achieving anything close to this would be through homeschooling. A Memoria Press-type curriculum coupled with a decent-sized garden and vacations that are kind of structured around the education and the histories that you're covering at the time would be a start. And there are so many learning language programs that are free. You just have to prioritize the time for. I have used Duolingo for years, and I've always really liked the results from it. My personal struggle is having to learn all of this while I teach my kids. And Milton's Tractate has really made me realize that our decision to, to homeschool is about the only option I have at this moment to meet the educational requirements that is our goals. And I understand everybody's goals and circumstances are going to be different, so I'm not suggesting what you should do or anything like that. Third, I'm not going to debate the health and fitness standards of today compared to the time of Milton. I just like the fact that he included diet and fitness in terms of education, because I've always felt they go hand in hand. For me personally, reading and expanding the mind is great, but when I pair that activity with a good balanced diet and a very well-maintained cardio routine, those three create a synergy that I can't quite explain. It instills a confidence, a mindset, and a sense of fulfillment that you you honestly have to experience to kind of understand. My advice to anyone wanting to improve in these three areas is just to start the marathon off walking. Every day, read one chapter, consume a healthy breakfast, and just go on a 10 minute walk. After that, the marathon is started, and you just progress upward from there. I hope you have enjoyed this overview of Milton's Tractate of Education. You may not find it relevant for today's standards, and honestly, that is okay. We all value and appreciate different things, and that's what makes the world amazing. Next week, we discuss Religio Medici by Sir Thomas Brown, which should be a pretty good read. There has also been a book that has been recommended to me in the comments section a lot, so I picked it up, and we're going to be covering it soon. It is Mr. Adler's How to Read a Book. And Then I've read this book in the past, but I'm also going to be covering it because I think it's important and I think it would fit onto the channel here. It is Weapons of Mass Instruction by Mr. Gatto. I will be covering these books separately in different videos down the road. I will link them both down in the description below. If you want to check them out before the video comes out, you can. This series can be found in podcast form. So if you'd rather listen to it via podcast, uh, you can go down into the link in the description. I'll have the podcast linked in there as well. I also wrote specialty coffee. So if you want to sip some amazing coffee while you peruse the classics, you can check out my link in the description below. My website will be down there. You can use the code THECAUSE for 15% off your first order. I also want to say the channel and the podcast are growing faster than I anticipated. And your comments, your engagements, the likes, the shares, it's all really helped grow the channel And I'm very, very thankful for the support We just smashed 10,000 subscribers on YouTube Which is just insane Because I didn't start the channel that long ago With that being said, read some amazing books Drink some amazing coffee And I will see you next week As always, stay blessed Love y'all I was making lots of noise Busking on the city streets I came back from Brooklyn But you didn't come back for me